I'm Gab, he's Jules, hazy and sweltering in uh, West London. Um, but uh, Jules, we got quite the show. People think yeah. it's International Week, nothing going on. We'll no be talking a little bit of Ballon d'Or, which I really could care, care less about, but yeah. I know it's a big deal to some people. I know, I do. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about about Antony, not good news coming from there, yeah. Saudi window closing. But I think let's start with what's really dominated the headlines for, for several weeks now. Events post the Women's World Cup final. Um, Jenny Hermoso has, to, to me, two big things involving that part. Jenny Hermoso has uh, essentially filed proper charges yeah. against Rubiales. And then finally, there was an apology 16 days later from the Spanish FA. To help us make sense of what the uh, Spanish charges mean, let's go to Sam Marzin, who, of course, is a lawyer and a member of the bar <laughs> in Catalonia. No, just kidding. A member of a different bar, perhaps, in Catalonia. No. Um, Sam, what does this actually mean, the charges that have been filed against Rubiales? Yeah, so this is a sort of the another phase of the action being taken against Rubiales. Obviously, until now, everything we've seen is sort of investigations and cases open against him in, in a sporting sense, if you will, to sort of remove him from his position with the Federation. This is now veering into to criminal proceedings. Prosecutors last week announced their intention to, to file a case against Rubiales. They asked Jenny Hermoso if she would press charges and join them on that case. Obviously, without Jenny Hermoso's complaint, it doesn't really move forward. She, this week, has officially filed that complaint, press charges against Rubiales for his conduct after the, the final, and that is moving forward now. So that's now up to the, the Alencia Nacional, the National Court in Spain, to decide if they they take it on. If they take it on, there will probably be some sort of sort of trial or, or whatnot where both are, are summoned to speak, and then, yeah, then the, the decision is made from there whether any further action is taken against Rubiales in a, in a criminal sense as well as in sort of the, the sporting sense, like I say, in terms of his position with the Federation. So to be clear on this, uh, this wasn't Jenny Hermoso saying, yes, I'm going to go and press charges. It was other people who were going to, if I understood this correctly, prosecutors were working on this, saying there is scope to press charges, but we need Hermoso as part of this for it yeah. to work. If they hadn't been working on this, she might never have pressed charges. Is that in, in the actual criminal courts rather than the sporting ones? That's fair to say, yeah? Correct, yeah. So yeah. Okay. we don't know if she would have done or not. So she basically had three options. She could have gone down her own route of filing charges without the prosecutors and pressing charges that way. She could have joined the, the prosecutor's case or she could have done nothing. And she's decided to to um, yeah, to take up the, off the offer, the opportunity given to her by the prosecutors last week to, to press charges. And I think the law has changed recently, Sam, in Spain, in the sense that now a forced case is considered uh, or can be considered as sexual assaults. For what you can go to jail between four and five, one and four years, you can get a fine, and maybe Rubiales will only get a fine. But this is a big step forward, massive. Uh, the other big step, Sam, is the Spanish FA uh, via Pedro Rocha, who I guess is the the interim president um, right now, has issued an apology. They had a big statement to make. They also decided that they weren't going to continue with Jorge Vilda uh, over this. Um, some people have some sympathy for Vilda in the sense that. Without this Rubiales business, Vilda might still be in a job, and there were suggestions. Surely it wouldn't. There were suggestions that he was offered a four-year deal uh, at a salary of, I think, half a million, which is a lot for the women's game. What's your understanding here? Yeah, I don't know if sympathy would be the word, but certainly without the, the Rubiales conduct after the final, then you would presume it would be sort of business as usual for the federation. Rubiales as president, Vilda carrying on as coach with a new deal boosted by by winning the World Cup. But once everything fell out, obviously there's been various sort of discussions about why Vilda has gone. And obviously he has gone as part of the fallout to, to the Rubiales issue. But you can't ignore the fact that, you know, 81 players passed and present and said they wouldn't play for Spain. Obviously they've never named Vilda. It's complicated to talk about Vilda because in all the, the communications, the official communications that the 15 did last September, that the 81 did did this past couple of weeks after the Rubiales non-resignation speech, hasn't specifically named anyone. They've spoken about the culture, about you know, the, the hierarchy within women's football, especially within the federation. Um, so there's nothing actually sort of pinned on Vilda officially, but he is part of that setup. And, and with him continuing in the helm, it would have been impossible for, for any of those players to, to return. He said it was unfair. Oh, poor Jorge. Are you Just obviously have no, no, no. Okay. Well, why would I have sympathy for him? No, what, what just strikes me a little bit is... It seems like so many things get conflated. There are there is a there's a there's a Vilda issue, 
yeah. right? Where there you were had, issues before. You had, you know, there's a Vilda issue which dates back to those 15 yeah. players, of which three returned and whatever else. Uh, not all the 15 would have started in the final, obviously, or, or started for Spain. Other players supported Vilda all along. There's that whole thing. Yeah. And when a complaint was never actually specific, so there's a Vilda issue there. And then there's a Rubiales issue. And the 80 odd people who who came out and including including some some Borja Iglesias and, and whatnot. Mm. I think this was about Rubiales and it felt like it felt like Vilda should have been judged, to me at least, should have been judged entirely separately. It became impossible to do that. Especially impossible. And he also stayed in charge because Rubiales was there before the World Cup. Otherwise he would have never been the head coach anymore. So Rubiales kept him. So the two have been linked even before this all. So it's normal in a way that he benefited from Rubiales being there before. And now it's against him that Rubiales is gone. All right, let's get a little bit more into this um, into this business with Vilda. One of the things that, that really struck out was, or it certainly struck me, was that Friday you had the, the extraordinary meeting of, of the Spanish FA. It was my understanding from people who are in contact with Rubiales and people at the FA, that at that point there were people who, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, but I think people in Spain even reported this, they were looking to do a deal where Rubiales would have issued some form of apology, would have kind of self-suspended himself for a period yeah. of time, and I guess they figured after this period of time everybody had forgotten about it, and then he could go back and be business as usual. They tried to negotiate something yeah. like that. And on the day of, it was a non-starter yeah. because he just came out and says, I'm not resigning, I'm not resigning, I'm not resigning, and never got to that. I, what's your take on this, Sam? Would, would that have been a better kind of negotiated solution for him exiting stage left? I mean, it would have been better than what's happened. I don't know if it would have been satisfactory for most of the, the parties involved, probably for a few people at the Federation, but not many other people. I mean, what happened on that Friday was just uh, remarkable in terms of what even the Federation were briefing the night before, what people go into that meeting expected to happen. Like you say, some people expected a complete resignation. Others, you know, thought maybe there would be some sort of, you know, suspension and investigation. And then maybe they could see or reassess the, the damage in, in 90 days or, or whatever. Obviously, that was before the FIFA ban, so that might not have been the been the time scale and yeah it's i mean the both coaches of the well builders obviously departed as we've discussed now but even the men's coaches like luis de la fuente has spoken about being sort of completely stunned by by what happened at that at that meeting and sort of using that as the reason why they were sort of caught up in the applause which they've been been heavily condemned for yeah vilda made the point that if everybody stands up around you and applauds you're going to naturally stand up and applaud really which I thought... Like if everybody jumps through the window, you jump as well? Like, yeah, wait, like I thought, man, like, I, that's please, not... come on. <laughs> you're not somebody who really thinks of yourself. It's kind of concerning that somebody who's supposed to be a leader of professional athletes yeah. and tries to teach, you know, some level, yes, teamwork, but also individualism, some personality, uh, some some sort of self-advocacy would would come up with such a stupid education. I'm guessing he's probably not a very educated man. And in fact, just about Jorge Vilda's background, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong here, from what I saw, this is a typical story. Guy wanted to play football, wasn't perhaps good enough, suffered a serious injury, decided, how can I stay in football? And so he gets into coaching. And because sort of 20 years ago, there was very little money in the women's game in, in Spain, he quickly went through, coached at youth level, and had a lot of success at a youth level, and then kind of stuck around. Plus, is it his dad or his yeah, uncle his who's dad, yeah. uh, who has a, a senior role with the FA? I mean, is that basically this man's career uh, trajectory? Yeah, more or less. I think his dad was at first a fitness coach. He was he was on the uh, the coaching staff of um, Johan Cruyff's dream team in the early nineties at Barca, which was when Vilda was knocking around Barca's academy as well. He played for a few academies and got injured, like you say, and then yeah. I think he had maybe one or two jobs with small clubs in the Madrid region before he made the jump to the Federation as his dad's assistant. So that's kind of the mindset, the mentality of somebody who who, who comes through there. And, and is it fair to say also that the women's football that he would have worked in, because we talked about how you know, Spain were underachieving for a very, very long time. By the way, like Under England, him, under him. No, 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 no. I'm talking about Spain as a group. Right, the Spanish women's they didn't even qualify for a World Cup until the late nineties, yeah, right? And so ten years ago, there was no real woman structure to women's football in right. Spain anyway. 
in the same way there wasn't in England, unlike, say, Germany or Sweden. No, England or, have a much bigger history of women's football than Spain have. No, massive. they do, but but equally, it's it's something that it changed in the last 15, 20 years in England. Yeah, you go back Spain, sort of, five years ago, Real Madrid didn't have a team. Well, because they chose not to yeah, have yeah, a team. Still, there were other so teams. the culture is very but, different. But, 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 but what I'm saying is, you're talking about somebody who kind of, like like the the whole setup, the money came in, and what a, and started providing better facilities, better opportunities. Yeah. And is it is there a sense in Spain? Because obviously we've heard how successful Barcelona have been um, in in the women's game. Is there a sense, from what you can tell, that this increase in professionalism, this increase in in qualities, more opportunities for women, has been more driven by the by the the club teams in Spain. Um, than the federation is that a fair to say, or is that not the case? From what you can tell, yeah, that's fair to say. A lot of people sort of sort of say that because obviously there's been a lot from from Rubiales and Vilda about how much, like you say, Spain hadn't been in a World Cup until 2015. That was their first World Cup. They hadn't won a knockout game at a major tournament until this year. So this development is yeah, much more recent than than even England, like you say. Um, and obviously, you can't sort of directly say Spain because there's different camps within Spain. You kind of obviously the two biggest voices are the Madrid press and the Barcelona press. So obviously in, in Barcelona there's a big push that, you know, Spain's success, if you look at the amount of players that have come through at Barca and a part of that that Barca team is down to Barca more than than Spain. Obviously a lot of the players have come through playing boys football and stuff as well. So it comes down to sort of the the structures that is in are in space in place in Spain for for coaching and, and whatnot. But around the men's game more than the women's game, but which has also provided the pathway for, you know, the initial steps that's taken, you know, for example, someone like Aitana Bonmati, who would have played for a boys team before moving to to Barca. Um, so that's sort of one side of it, more than this being like, this This isn't, there's no one saying that this has sort of been a dedicated, you know, 10, 15 year plan from from Spain to really sort of push their, their women's team. It's something they've kind of stumbled upon really in the, the Luis Rubiales sort of era since he came in in 2018. It is true there's been, you know, an increase in revenue of the federation, which has allowed them to invest more money in the women's team. And it's undeniable that, you know, especially this year for the World Cup, they did a lot of things to facilitate the requests of, of the players, even though it wasn't enough for some to come back in terms of, you know, travel for family, more coaching staff. Um, but that's at the very elite level. There's still not sort of been much going on yet at the sort of grassroots level or a dedicated push towards women's football, even though we are seeing huge success in the last few years at, at youth level with the Spain teams as well. They've been dominating. I think they're the champions of the, well, no, they are the champions of the Under-17 World Cup and the Under-20 World Cup. I wanted to ask about that. You just mentioned, um, because obviously three of the players who complained came back and, and, and played major roles. Those sticking points that you mentioned, travel for family, more coaches, are you implying that that was kind of, and I just want to, just want to understand this, that that was kind of the negotiation that kind of the, I'm always blank on the name of, especially the the three who were really good who stayed home. Um, yeah, Mapileon, yeah. or whatever. They negotiated like some of their teammates and they said, but unless this happens, we're not coming. Like, it wasn't at that, that stage for Mapidon, it wasn't like if Vilda's there, I'm not playing in a World Cup. It's they wanted other things which they were not able to get. Is that is that what happened? It's complicated because obviously there's fifteen players and each one of them had No, we're talking about sort of- the ones who obviously the three who were there, and we're talking yeah. about Mapileon and like the ones who would have played major roles on this team had they been there. Right. Yes. So Mapi Leon, Patrick Guajardo, like, and San, well, Sandra de Panos did make herself available, but wasn't selected. But yeah, Mapi yeah. and Patrick are the big, big two who would have been there, the big stars of Barca's team. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, obviously the changes were. I mean, they weren't superficial changes that were made. They were good. They were good changes and sort of used by some to say they would come back. But for for Mapi and for Patrick, what they wanted were were deeper changes, which we may well see now in terms of the federation, perhaps in terms of the, the coaching staff and stuff, things that couldn't just be like, well, here's an extra member of staff, here's, here's a chartered plane for the team, and here's, here's you know an allowance for your family to go to the World Cup and stuff. They wanted sort of deeper changes, which they felt would be not just for them, but you know for generations to come. It was more than, it was more than just this World Cup for them, it was, you know, laying the foundations and having everything in place that you would have in place for, for the men's team in Spain. And th- those issues are... Unfortunately, because the the game is growing, but it's still not there yet. But happening a lot of teams like England, the England players had a big fight with the federation over the bonuses. The French have had to almost beg for what Sam was talking about, flying your family over 
to have that money available for you if you wanted and that was only 6,000 euros to go to Australia for your family to come and watch you in the World Cup. It's not much, really. So Jamaica had problems as well and they had to have, um, I don't know how you call the uh, crowdfunding, crowdfunding, is that yeah, what you Yeah, crowdfunding, yeah. So, so this is this is still where this game is in the on the women's side yeah. of it. And then this is the spite. And FIFA, Spain is the same. And this is the spite FIFA... Yeah, yeah. giving seven and it was 1.5 million to each federation exactly to cover their world cup training development and expenses and, and their costs associated with the world cup um yeah i don't know i i just kind of feel that you know people i i feel like there's a generational growth issue here as well in terms of what is best to develop women's football in spain and it seems to me correct me if i'm wrong here sam we don't have a generation Right now, they're not in the FA generation of women, football administrators, ex-players, non-ex-players who have grown up growing the women's game and know what's best for the women's game. Because I, I don't think it should be, yeah, players should have a voice, obviously, right? But I don't think it should just be players. I don't think it should just be coaches. Unless you have that kind of historical memory, unless you have people who understand the challenges and you understand that women's football is not just men's football played by women that there's a different structure there, there's there's different issues and it's not just in spain it seems to me that it's in a number of different countries yeah. unless you have that generation of people who are ready to to step in i mean norway for example it's an exception right but the head of their football association is a former professional yeah, footballer yeah, yeah. who's been throughout through all the ranks Best of women's football been there and whatever right she was a but it's not because she was a top footballer it's because she's been in the system she's played the yeah, system yeah. and now she gets that in Spain, you just don't but have that generation. They also have problems for the national team. They also, yeah, they have different yeah. problems with yeah, different yeah. issues. But in Spain, you just don't have that generation of leaders yet. Is is that one of the issues? Yeah, that's one of the issues. Like you say, there's no, there's not, they don't have that representation off the pitch. They're obviously the unions and stuff. And this is one of the things that Alexia Puteas speaks about quite clearly when she's, you know, asked about the subject. And she says, look, we're just tired of always having to be not just players. But also happen to be the the voices and the representatives of these talks of this push and ideally like you say they would have well, more representation within the federation or you know off the pitch i mean obviously in england i've heard karen carney speaking quite good about these things yeah. and what needs to happen in spain sort of in the fallout from this rubiales um incident there's been a lot of media time for veronica Borchette, but she's still she's still playing she's still playing for fiorentina she's obviously coming to the end of her career she's a you know, perhaps one of Spain's most famous ex-players. And, you know, she speaks a lot about what needs to be done, but she's not yet in a position. But perhaps, you know, moving forward, like you say, you need to find roles for for people like this so that you've not got players having to play and negotiate and push for, for well, the changes that they need to it, be able to focus on. And I was going to ask, can you, they're not in the main players' union, which is AFE. They're in a different players' union. Um, they're they're in something called FUPRO. So they're not in... AFE is affiliated, of course, with with, with FIFPRO, Pro, with a lot of the major ones. They formed. I don't think they. I don't think they formed FUPRO. I think it already existed. Can you just talk a little bit about dynamic? I mean, given that Rubiales was at the players' union before, but also clearly doesn't like uh, Aganzo because he was spying yeah, on yeah. who's running the players' union now. Was it a bit weird that the players' union didn't really get involved here, simply because they're not players' union members, even though they're clearly professional footballers as well? In terms of the going back to last September or since the World Cup final? No, at, at every stage. They're not part of AFE, right? They chose not to be, right? Yeah, I mean, AFE have been involved since last September with, you know, statements and stuff. And they are involved with women's players as well. For example, this week, the, the players have actually gone on strike. The, the season in Spain, Liga F, won't start this weekend because they're negotiating with the league over new conditions, new minimum salary. And that's done. There's a syndicate of people that represent them. It's FootPro, but AFE are are also involved. So it is confusing because there are different bodies which which do have a say or do represent the players. Rafa is not just the men's game, it is also the women's game. Obviously, FootPro has garnered a lot more sort of... Obviously, Jenny Hamosa obviously opted to go with them as the union over Rafa. Um Yeah, I'm not too sure about the, the creation of FootPro and the, the breakdown right. between Rafa and, and FootPro, to be honest. Sam, what, what do you make of... So they, they, they chose to replace Vilda by, by Monse Tome, who was his assistant, who had been with him since 2018. So she spent a lot of those years where things were not going well, not on the pitch, off the pitch as well. 
uh, people think she's the right choice or people think like hang on is she might be a bit of the female version I, I don't know i don't know her at all i don't know what she obviously resigned after the rubiales incident unlike vilda so clearly she had a different opinion on the whole story but where what's your opinion about choosing her as the new head coach yeah, certainly the latter. I think there's been more eyebrows raised than sort of people saying, well done, great appointment. Um, not that she won't be a good coach, not that she isn't a good coach. Obviously, like you say, she's, she's worked under Vilda. A lot of people said that she was quite sort of um, instrumental in the in the World Cup. Even before her appointment, they said that she'd been sort of quite key in some of the decisions Spain made after that 4-0 defeat to Japan. But there is that question, and to go back to Veronica Bocchetti, that she's been speaking a lot this week about, you know, this idea that, they feel that, you know, the, the Federation have just gone, well, she's a woman, let's put her in charge and that will maybe quieten down things or, or, yeah. or sort of ease things or smooth things over for a while. Whereas it's kind of missing the point from what the players wanted when they first initially sort of launched that statement last September. What they want is world-class world class coaching setup for the national team, for world-class players. You know, a lot of them won Champions Leagues with Barcelona, world champions. They would love to have a coach, you know, on the level of someone like Serena Wiegmann or, or whoever. Obviously, I'm not saying they should have appointed Serena Wiegmann, but, you know, someone who's like, you know, a renowned... Gabby's not a fan. Gabby's no, not a fan. Not a fan. Um... um no, so I, that makes sense. That makes sense. What Sam said. Yeah, it makes to, sense. To be clear, I'm a big fan of Serena Wiegmann as a person. Yeah, and for her success. Coach. No, we know. We know. Not we know. For what I saw in the tournament, but you guys are there. You guys saw it a lot better. If you think that was good, that's fine. But then again, hey, look, England here coached by Gareth Southgate, so it makes it better <laughs> to be a better person. Um, sorry, sorry, that's that's unkind. Um, final question for me is the reactions in the men's game as well. Obviously, initially there was a lot of solidarity. Jorge Iglesias coming out, um, although obviously maybe a more marginal national team player. Yeah, um, yeah. It's easier for him to do that than for Gavi. Danny Carvajal, well, Gavi's also 17 years old or 18 years old, right? But Danny Carvajal, veteran, Real Madrid, establishment. I think also maybe slightly different outlook, maybe slightly different politics as well between Catalonia and Castilla. Uh, he said some things which, at least in the Anglo press, people didn't like. Yeah, he obviously said that um, it's up to the courts to decide what happened and to see. I think he backtracked a little bit because he did an interview, he did a radio interview, which caused the fallout on, I think it was, with everyone Thursday on Tuesday night. And then on Wednesday, he did a news conference, which was aimed to slightly clear up what he said. But he ended up saying other things which sort of didn't go down so well, like, Luis Rubiales is also not having a great time at the moment and whatnot. And he's been a great president for him, for the Span Spain's men's national team, um, which is kind of missing the point as well because, you know, everything they've done for the men's team is slightly different to the to the women's team. So, yeah, those Carvajal comments haven't gone, gone down so well. And it perhaps is an illustration of why this statement that Spain's men's team did eventually put out on Monday took so long to put out and was deemed so unacceptable in, in some quarters because within that dressing room, you've obviously got players who've got all different opinions. You'll have other players who perhaps think more on the line of, of Danny Carvajal and think, you know, let justice play its, play its cause. You know, Rubiales has been good for us. Let's wait and find out what's happened. And then there are others who want to condemn it more, which is why you end up with this sort of wishy-washy statement that doesn't really, really do too much. But that, that's a reflection, some of the country itself, right? It's a very divisive... Things there's a lot of people in Spain who think, well, that's that was nothing really. What, what are we talking about here? Others who are very offended. I mean, Woody Allen, I saw Woody Allen yesterday saying that I don't know why he was asked about Rubiales saying nobody should lose their job for a false kiss. I mean, come on, like, I mean, this is yeah. so, but but that's just to go back to Spain, isn't just just a bit, and maybe every country would be the same. You would have people who think like Rubiales did nothing wrong, others who would be very offended. And, and maybe what Carvajal feels and some of the other players is a bit like that for the whole country, no? I think, I think the, the Carvajal voice is certainly, in, in terms of what people are saying, is in the minority. Perhaps there's more people that think that that don't say it. The, 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 the majority is certainly you know, you know, condemning Rubiales' behaviour, especially, especially following you know, the FIFA ban and stuff. People have come out more since then. Whether they should have come out before, obviously, is another issue. But yeah, of course, there's people with all, with all different views. And yeah, like I said before, you know, the best illustration of that perhaps is the the problems that Spain's men's team had drafting that statement because of the, yeah. the different views on how harsh to be or, or, or how not. I, I completely agree. I don't think the men's team should have drafted a statement because then you come up with a wishy-washy thing. There is a variety of views. I mean, as I see it, and I think we haven't mentioned this, but I think it is one of the key elements. It's very simple to me whether the case was consensual or not. In terms of Rubiales continuing, 
is not appropriate, even if it was consensual. I don't care. Not appropriate. Yeah. Not appropriate. You grabbing your crotch. Well, Woody, Woody doesn't think so. Well, wait, no, no. I don't care. Well, quite <laughs> frankly, the man's got a whole bunch of other issues I don't want to go into for legal, uh, for, for, for legal reasons. But uh, you're gone. Yeah. Like if, if I were in charge, right? Yeah. At that point. However, there is the issue of consent, which is obviously a major issue and has legal implications. But then, and this is my actually my, my last question for, for me is this business with this statement. Because Carajal's defense has always been, oh, it was consensual. You spoke no, to her on the bus. Sorry, we'll be honest, sorry. I spoke to her on the bus. We agreed it was consensual. And so they put out this, uh, the, the Spanish chef put out the statement saying it was consensual. Now, obviously, I, I want to make two points of this. First of all, there's the issue of whether um, they put words in her mouth, so to speak, right? And whether they changed her view of it. Uh, unbeknownst to her, and that is a very, very serious, serious accusation against the Spanish FA and ultimately Rubiales because he's responsible for what the Spanish uh, press office does. Yeah. Um, and then there's, I mean, to me that that's the main issue. But then the other issue um, in this is she has a right to change her mind afterwards. She has a right on the phone, on the bus with her with her boss. To say, yeah, sure, whatever is consensual, and then later feel like crap about it and change your mind. She doesn't lose that right to consent and withdrawing consent. I, I, as, as I see it, her first and maybe I'm too progressive on this. No, but talking about I, the I don't, I, I don't even care about the the, the the first reaction. I don't care about. But any she of those said reactions. she didn't. She didn't want to. She didn't like it. Whatever. And then she so, says she does. And she does. No. like like to me. I, I think that should be respected. Do we have any clarity on this from? Whether for, from the Spanish FA and whether that statement more than her saying it was consensual, because sometimes and I'm look I'm feeling ill, and I try having a go at press officers and comms people. And I probably shouldn't. We journalists talk to the comms people. If it's the comms people who change their words, they're not exactly going to share that with us because those are our sources, and we tend to be nicer to comms people, many of them, not all of them, than we are to elected officials. What's your take here, Sam? Yeah, well, it's the same as the, the Rubiales v. Jenny, consent or no consent, it's word against word. So that story first came out, I think it was, was it the day or two days after the World Cup final was on Relevo, where they published, you know, these quite serious accusations that the Federation statement had been, been made up. We ran that by Jenny's camp and they said the story was true. Um, and then we then ran it by the Federation and they said completely false and our legal department will, will deal with it. So, so that's all, all we've got yeah. on that. And I think maybe that's why when we talk about you know my thoughts on the law here, yeah. but, but we need to let the legal process play out, I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of, of, of the more definitive conclusions. Sam, thank you so much. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Gab. Just go to Indeed.com slash Gab right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Gab. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Jules, enough Spain. How about some quick hits instead? Let's go, Gab. Jules, you know how I feel about this, so <laughs> this is all you, man. Yeah. What do you make of the Ballon d'Or nominations as well as your lesser offspring, the Copa Trophy and the Yashin Trophy? By the way, to the marketing guy who came up with this, ooh, let's choose. What? Why are you so stupid? I can't even get beyond this. Right. Okay, One, right. I love it. I absolutely love oh, it. Yeah. I know how you feel about individual awards in the sports in a collective sports like that. Lev Yashin like retired this. 40 years ago. It takes you 40 years to name the award. But the, the, there was no award before for best goalkeeper. Because he didn't just, figure it was important. Okay. No, no, oh, it was just, they were part of the Ballon d'Or one. 
Well, I mean, we could argue that this year Thibaut Courtois and uh, Andre Martin <laughs> should be Mark Andre Stegen should be in uh, the normal Ballon d'Or, mm. which they're not somehow. I don't know who. Oh yeah, because is. they have the Copa Trophy now. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. No, the Yashin one. Oh, no. the Yashin. Sorry. Copa is for the young players. Oh wait, is Bellingham nominated for the Copa Trophy? He's in the. Is young he in player. the Ballon d'Or list? He too? is as well too. Oh, so Bellingham so gets to do that. But if you're a goalkeeper. Yeah, okay. I don't know for the them. Goalkeeping discrimination. I think I think they forget that they forgot them for the main list. No Cristiano Ronaldo, of course, for the first time in 20 years, he's now in the nominees. No Marcus Rashford, which is a bit strange so as it's well. The 30 nominees, we should point out, right? Yeah, for those who nominees. actually care about. No Nicolo Barella, which I find really hard to understand, to believe. But hey, they have to I'm do devastated. a list. I guess they can only have 30 and not 35 or 40 or 50. So let's see, let's see. You know, people are going to vote. People vote seriously. Players really care. You might not care, but players care. Uh -huh. Players want to win mm. this trophy. So this this award, that's why it's important. Alisson not in the top ten goalkeepers in the world. That's another strange one. But hey, you know they have to do a list. Does any normal person think that Alisson is not one of the top ten goalkeepers in the world? But clearly, the guy who did the list. Yeah, exactly. UFR changing the way prize money. Uh, from European competition is being distributed. Gabi, is more money for the big guys? How is this working now? You would think so, but no, actually. Oh, good. It's actually moved away. Now, for those who don't know, and I don't want to get into this too much, but the all the prize money goes into a big pot. But then part of the way it gets distributed is dependent on how big, what they call the market pool, how big your, the TV contract in your domestic uh, country is. Yeah. So, for example, if Liverpool reach a final and lose, they're going to get a lot more money than if Porto reach a final and lose That's right. because Portugal is a smaller TV market, which is distinctly unfair and favors the big clubs. Yeah. And the other thing favoring the, the big clubs was the historical coefficient. How big a brand are you? How well have you done in the past? Which, of course, would hurt maybe a club like Newcastle and help a club like AC Milan. But then the more clubs you have, the less they share the money too. So if you have one Portuguese club going far, yes. it's better than having four English clubs going far. Yeah, although the overall pie is smaller. But anyway, the 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 amount the, the, the market pool and the coefficient, which I say are favoring the bigger clubs, that's gone down from 45% to 35%, which I think is a really big, uh, is really quite significant. Um, also, 10% of the total amount will go to clubs that aren't even participating in okay, the group stages good. of the competition. Yeah. So there seems to be more redistribution. This is negotiated with the European Clubs Association. Yeah. Um, if you're like more egalitarian things, I think you'll generally like this, although maybe not enough. Anthony was dropped from the Brazil squad who will play World Cup qualifiers against Bolivia and Peru this week. Jules, he's facing serious allegations and Manchester United have uh, issued a statement. Yes, yeah, saying how serious that was. His uh, former girlfriend, Gabriela Cavallin, uh, has pressed charges against against him. So investigation have been opened both in Brazil and in, in England as well in Manchester Police. Uh, to see what happens, she's got um, messages, WhatsApp messages. She's got photos of apparently what he did to her, what he said to her. Anthony is denying all the allegations, saying that, yes, it was a, a toxic relationship and there were a lot of insults, but nothing never physical. That's what he's saying. She's very much the other way, saying that he was very physical and, and, brut and brutal and violent with her. So we'll have to see, but to be dropped from your from the national team squad, this is big already. This is getting a ton of attention, yeah, obviously in Brazil, which I think is a big part, a uh, big part of it. One question too is to do the. It may never have gotten physical, but at some point she did injure herself because, of course, Anthony asked Manchester United to provide, um, if, if they could put them in touch with a doctor yeah. um, to go and examine her for those yeah, she injuries. She was pregnant as well at the time. Um, and she was pregnant, yeah. of course, uh, at, at the time too. So it's an ugly scene. I think some people will question, should United have taken action earlier? Should they have issued a yeah. statement earlier? Um, I think, well, let's just hope that, you know, whatever... I hope we get some resolution on this. I hope we get some truth on it. And I hope we can move on yeah. at some point. Ruben Hall says that Argentina's World Cup victory was premeditated. That's his words. Suggesting there was a move to make Messi world champion. Does it mean like, like it was arranged or that it was like fixed kind of thing? When they asked him about it, he said, yes, that's what I mean. So <laughs> look, I mean, I, I said, I mean what I said or whatever. Look, just because you're old and you've lost and rich, to them. <laughs> does not mean that you have a right to go and say things, unless you're willing to go and back things up. Yeah. If you weren't happy with the officiating in that game, and I know that's legit that you're not happy with it, 
But to say that, to come out with this, this is very serious. And, you know, he says, oh, when you see Argentina score their goals and how we scored our goals and how some Argentina players overstepped the mark and were not punished, I think it was all a premeditated game. If they were going to premeditate the game, they probably wouldn't have left it to penalty kicks, yeah, right? And then Martinez not. to go and make those saves. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say about this. I, I have a major issue with responsibility. I know that nothing's going to happen. But I don't think you should be allowed to go and, and say things like this. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing. However you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million dollar stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash gabjewels, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash g-a-b-j-u-l-s now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash gabjewels. Jordan Henderson's transfer to El Itifak was criticized by many because he'd been a big supporter of the LGBT community. Yeah. He gave an interview to The Athletic in which he explained his point of view about why he moved. And I think it's fair to say it's backfired. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got no time for him. I won't lie. I don't rate him as a player, as you know. I don't like him trying to do this interview to justify his move to Saudi saying it's not for the money I didn't go for the money uh, I, I find even it confusing to be fair what he was saying uh, I find his answers far too long not really well explained uh, the fact that he thought he was certainly I mean I don't know if really the, the, the LGBT plus community felt that he was a, a spokesperson or he was you know he was he was helping them out before but I, I just thought the whole thing is a, is an absolute joke to yeah me. I I think if you're gonna do this and I, I first of all I like the fact that he spoke when so many others did not and yeah. so many others do not and never do I fear the reaction is gonna mean that they won't speak in future um, he says he spoke to people in his circle, friends and family who are LGBTQ people. He said a bunch of things in there which were also, I thought, somewhat disturbing. Yeah. And I think from a PR point of view, whoever's advising him on a PR did a terrible job. Because if you send somebody in there, they have to be prepared. Even something like about his salary there's a 700,000 pound a week figure that people keep citing for his salary he says oh it's not that it's nowhere near that it's more than what I made at Liverpool if you do that why don't you go ahead if you're going to bring up money why don't you do something novel and yeah. interesting and tell us exactly how much it is you know if, if, if you're going to say it's not it doesn't come into it it's the whole thing is it was badly handled I think it could have been better I think he did have something valuable to say when he says you know I'm not going to do it I want to be respectful of the local culture I get that. Yeah. I, I can respect that view. You, nobody's forcing you to be a politician or a social campaigner, as yeah, I see it. No. The Saudi transfer window closes today, as we record the show on Thursday morning. Gab, they already have a net spend of more than 850 million euros. It's less than the Premier League, of course. But there's also the fact that La Liga, Serie A and the Bundesliga have positive net spending this uh, window. Yeah, so the Bundesliga is five straight years in which they've actually made money and it's 293.3 million more that they took in than they, than they as a league set out. City asked the first time they have a, a, a negative net spend uh, since 2004. Um, uh, sorry, a positive net spend. Yeah, positive, yeah. And obviously La Liga as well, despite Bellingham. There's a number of reasons for it. I do have a column coming out where you can read more about it. Uh, but yeah, there's no question. The Premier League's financial dominance is, is enormous. Yeah, and that's of course. Despite all those, all those, especially all the players that they sold to Saudi. Jules, despite three wins in three, Thomas Tuchel is under fire at Bayern. <laughs> Bill, say club buy. bosses find him erratic. I don't like the fact that he complains the squad is too thin. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've said it before, but Tuchel clashed with people above him pretty much everywhere he's been before. So that's, that's part of his personality. You have to, to deal with it. He's still a, a wonderful coach. We've said it. We're big fans here. 
he's right in the fact that the squad is too thin. They're the smallest squad in the, in the whole of the Bundesliga. Every other club, Dashma including Eidenheim, have more players. He says 18. I looked it up. They have 23. <laughs> but, but it's true. Some have 31, 30, 30 players. First team player, that is. Um, so I can see his point. And I think he was disappointed the fact that Pavar was not replaced. For example, the, the players they went for, Palinia, Shaloba, really late in the transfer, didn't happen. I get it. He still has the best squad in the league anyway. And I think they also said you were part of the conversation to allow exactly. us to move Stanisic and stuff like that. Completely. And also this complaint about the number six, yeah. I think is odd, but whatever. Yeah. Juventus' criminal trial over false accounting has been moved away from Turin to Rome, Gab, at the club's request. Is that in a way like an early legal win? Um... Yeah, well, they wanted it to move, so but I presume there was a reason. I think they feel that the prosecutor in Turin was not going to give them, um, wasn't being fair to them. What, is for Torino fan or something? No, I think I think he's actually Neapolitan, he's <laughs> uh, which probably makes it worse. Yeah, true. Um, I have no idea this is way above my pay grade, but clearly when the defendant asks for a move and they get the move, I think it's seen as a positive for them. Howard Webb has taken to television to help explain decisions in the Premier League. Among other things, he said Nathan Ake's goal for Manchester City against Fulham, which so angered Marco Silva, should not have stood. How do you feel about Webb going public in this way and the way he looked on TV? So first, I, I, I didn't mind it, and he did it in, in MLS when he was over in the US anyway. Um, but then I watched it, and he's talking about the Onana for United against Wolves, the penalty incident with Kaladzic four weeks ago. I'm like, why are you not talking about things that just happened this weekend? Why do we have to go back a month ago? Everybody well, he did. He talked about the Nathan Ake Yeah, thing. but uh, and then the, and one, the, more, about, uh, the more recent Havertz. one, the most recent one, they're all pretty obvious. I mean, the Nathan Ake, the surprise would have been him to say, no, no, no that's a legit <laughs> goal. So I think there's, there's something good about it. It could be better, it, it should be, be better, better, but yeah. It's good that he's talking. Yeah. Gab, as you mentioned, you have a column coming up on the uh, on the transfer window and the numbers that you've already explained well. What's been the biggest surprise for you in this transfer window? I mean, obviously, other than, than yeah. Saudi, I think one of the things that, and, and look, as you know, I, I talk about net spend, not spend, because that's not so relevant. Yeah. To me, one of the biggest surprises, um, not surprises, which you knew it was coming, but it's basically every big European club for one reason or another, in terms of clubs in the Champions League, they're not spending. In the Bundesliga, Leipzig, yeah. um, uh, Bayern, uh, Borussia Dortmund, right? These are going into the Champions League. They all have massive positive net spends. Uh, and obviously, they all sold a lot of important players. Yeah, but then they also Bayern still spent 100 on Kane and 50 on Kim. So, But then they still... Pocketed yeah, yeah, yeah. Pocketed 50 million. A lot, yeah. It's almost like they're hunkering down for something. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just things going in different directions right now. But uh, Paris Saint-Germain have left Marco Verratti out of their Champions League squadules. This Al-Arabi thing is happening, yeah? I think it is. In, in Qatar, the, the window is open until September 18th or 17th, I think, actually. Uh, in a way, I, I think it's a bit sad when he's a club legend because he's a club legend whether you think he was he never really fulfilled all the potential or no I know you're smiling well it's club legend because then you, you forced me to bring up the club's history which dates no, all the way back it doesn't back matter to so much he's been there 10 years he's been, he's right. been really good for most of his time yeah of course he's not perfect but to have an ending like that is still a bit sad, I think. And whether you think he's a club legend or not, it's a bit sad. I can understand the point of view from Luis Enrique, the club. They don't, they, don't, they don't count on him this season. So you're not going to put him in the Champions League squad when you hope that he leaves. And I think he will go to Qatar. But for him, at 30, is a bit sad. And speaking of PSG, Gab, is it true that if Verratti doesn't move, then my boys will be the biggest spending club in Europe? That's right. Paris Saint-Germain have somehow, despite selling Neymar for $90 million, actually, in net terms, outspent Chelsea. It's very wow. close. Now, obviously, that will change if uh, if they get money back for Verratti, which yeah. we think, we think will probably will. happen. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was blown away from it. Um, still far behind El Hilal, which is uh, $350 million net wow. spend. Massive. Number one spenders in the world. Villarreal have parted ways with Kika Setien after just one win in four. Jules, a bit harsh, perhaps? Maybe a little bit. They were in the lead against Barcelona. They ended up losing that game. They were in the lead last weekend. They ended up losing that game as well. Let's not forget that he, lose, he lost players like Pau Torres and, and Chukweze in the summer, who, who were big players for him. Not easy to replace either. A year in charge. I mean, he's... 
I think he's quite an exciting coach at times in the way they play offensively, but defensively there's a lot of issues. There's always been and there will always be with him. And, and I, let's see who they replace him with. It's always the same. You can get rid of someone. If you replace him with someone better and that works better, great on you. If you don't, then... What I don't understand here is, obviously he took over when Unai Emery went to know, Villa. did his Judas Benedict yeah. Arnold thing and walked out on the club. Yeah. Um, but he was there. They obviously liked him to continue. In the summer, you're right. They, I think they had a big positive um, yeah. net spend as well. Yeah, definitely. But they did bring in players too, right? Yeah. And presumably it was discussed with Kike Setien. So after four games, I one know, of them Barcelona, to say go in a different direction. When you you know he plays attacking football. You know this yeah. is what, this is how he rolls. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. It seems odd to me. Even first manager sacked in the big five leagues, even before all the Italians. So it tells you. I know. It tells you how it is. <laughs> Talking about Italy, Simone Inzaghi has a new contract at Inter, Gab. That makes sense. Yeah, he got a bump. It's funny. Um, he got an extension from 2024 to 2025. And by the way, so Inter aren't doing this because they're a particularly enlightened, well-run club. They're doing it because they don't want to commit long-term money yeah. because they're under um, financial fair play settlement with UEFA. But this is the way it should be. This is the way it should yeah, be. You yeah, should not the way, have these ten-year contracts unless you're like some sort of extreme, you know, Pep Klopp type case. If when I own a football club, I'm going to be doing this. I'm like, oh, dude, coach, you get one more year. Because unlike a player, when player you want to, uh, uh, a player who doesn't want to be there, you can still f make them play, yeah. fulfill their contract. They're not going to screw up the team. A player's not going to go out there and play badly on purpose to ruin your team. Yeah. A coach who's unhappy and people know he's unhappy wants to be somewhere else. So I think they're doing the right thing. One, yeah. year, one year extension, I got no problem with it. Okay. Jose Mourinho spoke about the Europa League final against Sevilla and said, and this is a direct quote, if I say what I think, they'll ban me for 10 games, unquote. Jose, he's really not prepared to let no, it go. He's already been banned for four games. Yeah, for, I thought he had said already what he thought and got the four-match ban. So maybe he's got more to say that would get him a 10-match ban. Come on, Jose, listen, let it go. It didn't happen for you that night. You lost on penalties. It was a, it was a shame. It's sad. But there's far more to come than just thinking about what happened in the past. And also, I mean, he seems on his own a little bit about that kind of uh, crusade against the, against the referee at the time. So just let it go, focus on what you have, the Europa League coming up, uh, and to make that a success, I guess, right? They haven't started the season well in Serie A either, so he's got other things to think yeah. about than just that final. Worry about Rui Patricio. Yeah. Manchester United shares dropped sharply after reports at the weekend that the Glazers had taken the club off the market. $700 million? Yeah, this is the weird Ooh. story. Remember we talked about this on Monday, right? Yeah. Uh, the Mail on Sunday, I think it was reporting it. Um, but then other followed up on it and Jim Ratcliffe uh, and the Qataris and the folks at the Rain Group who yeah. are doing the sales. Who are actually like, selling the club. Oh, nobody actually told us that they had oh taken it off God. the market. Uh, I don't know. Viewed from the outside, put it this way. If they say I hide, I hide this information and it wasn't illegal or unethical, I'd be, I would have been really, really tempted to short the stock. Yeah. Uh, I'm not suggesting there's definitely some man market manipulation. But if this were a different stock in a different industry, I think this is the conclusion that some people might reach. You mean in um, New York, they read the Daily Mail and they're like, at the stock exchange, they read the Daily Mail and say, uh-oh. <laughs> I think so. I think so. <laughs> Davinson Sanchez and Tongi Ndombele are on their way to Galatasaray, hey! Jules. A lot of big names for the club and their return to the Champions League. Yeah, in the group of Manchester United and Bayern Munich, of course. It'll be interesting to see how they does. But you're right, Dries Mertens is there, Maricardi, who we'll mention a bit later as well. You've got Hakim Ziyech. You've got really, really talented Galatasaray. Not Juan Mata anymore, yeah, Juan Ma unfortunately. No, not Juan Mata, who went to Japan. But really talented squads who started really well the, the domestic season. So let's see with the addition of Ndombele. And I'm not sure what kind of Ndombele we will see or even Davison Sanchez we will see. But... But at least they're getting stronger, so it's good for them. The Premier League are introducing new rules to fast-track FFP cases. Yeah, they said that they want to get everything wrapped up in three months. Do you believe them? So obviously this is good because one of the reasons they're doing this is they want to make sure that if something is wrong, that you can apply the penalty straight away, right? Yeah. So they want, to, they want sort of fast-track justice. Um, and so the idea is by December 31st, clubs file their account. We immediately see, aha, look, you know, Jules' club lost way too much money. Sorry. Investigation. Okay, Jules, we're going to dock your club 10 points. All right, you file an appeal. Uh, okay, we're going to dock you five points. So that applies that season yeah, yeah. in the present, right? 
But then they also come out and say two things, which one is, oh, by the way, the Manchester City case, where you know they're being investigated, well, that wouldn't fall under this because it's way too complex. There's okay. 115 separate charges. And the Chelsea case, which, of course, they can't confirm that they're being investigated. Yeah, but, but they are. Well, I think given Chelsea self-reported, and by the way, this is Todd Bowley's stuff that happened in the Abramovich era, since they self-reported themselves to UEFA, we presume they would have self-reported yeah. themselves to the Premier League as well. Oh, but that's an old case, 2014-2019, so that's too complex, so that wouldn't apply to them either. So it's really very straightforward cases. <laughs> Look, uh, the reality is lawyers, high courts, injunctions, this is really ambitious. It's good that they're trying to yeah, do it. It's good, yeah. I'll be very surprised if they can. More Turkish moves. Eric Bay going to Besiktas. Jules. Yes, uh, Gab, of course. I mean, he will play with Daniel Amarty, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. There's a few former Premier League players over there. Last season in Marseille on loan was not very good from him. He had a lot of injuries. I mean, he's quite injury-prone, full stop. And when he played, he was not actually that good. So I don't know what will happen in Besiktas. He will play also in Europe, in the, in the Conference League. Uh, actually, quite, quite a tough group with, uh, with Bodo Glimt uh, and another decent team, Genk, I think it was. So You're all over the Conference I League. I love the Conference League, as you know. So let's see what it does. Another ugly story, though, coming from Manchester United, Gabby, and one that could have been avoided. I thought this is really terrible. This is a report from, yeah, from the Times. Um, so there's a guy named Jeff Konopka. He was the manager. And this tells you, you know, we talked before about women's football and how, how far along, how far mm. we've come, right? He was a manager of Manchester United women's team from 1983 to 2001. Um, and he was, last March, he was invited as a special guest to, to Old Trafford for, for a women's Super League game against Everton, I think. It's the highest attending ever uh, at Old Trafford or whatever. And described as a club legend. He's now in his late 70s. But here's the thing. Not this guy is on the sex offenders oh, registry. Um, he's been convicted of 19 offenses of indecent assault and gross indecency against girls under the age of 16 and under the age of 14. And he has served four years in prison. How is that even possible? Um, they invite him? I think they just looked at the fact that he was the Manchester United women's manager for 18 years, um, back when he didn't care about women's football. Um, I think he said, well, these offenses happened before he became the United women's manager, which, by the way, uh, also kind yeah, of shows you yeah, like... for that, you should not have had the job anyway. <laughs> it's, but, you know, you should not be associated yeah. with, with somebody, somebody like that, especially in this day and age, especially um, at this time. The club have apologized, obviously said they were... They were unaware. By the way, when they say, well, we were unaware. unaware well, Christ, I would hope you were I unaware <laughs> um, that you have a guy who's, who served four years in prison, a convicted sex unaware? offender, um, uh, should not be invited to the club. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'm just highlighting this in case this guy worked at your club. Please don't invite him to I club know. events. It's not please. funny. Just leave it. Please. U.S. men's national team goalkeeper Matt Turner spoke about leaving Arsenal for Nottingham Forest. I was struck by this quote. He said, quote, if I went another season without playing, I would have probably had to take a step back. And once you're out of it, it's hard to back into it, especially when you're not English. Is it tougher that if you're not English, Jules? I'm asking you because you're not English, of course. I'm not really sure I understand the, the quote, what he meant. I mean, I can give you numerous examples from Amy Martinez to Lucas Fabianski of players who didn't play much as a number two goalkeeper for Arsenal, for example. Right, and they weren't given a chance and they went to other clubs, became yeah, better well, goalkeepers than the goalkeepers Arsenal had, i.e. like Bernd Leno and other weirdos. And, and they had a really good... In the end, they yeah, but they didn't worked out. For smaller clubs in Arsenal. What, is Nottingham Forest not... But I still don't understand why. So he thinks by going to Forest, <laughs> then he can go to Real Madrid or to Manchester City. Is that why... Because I don't really understand. I'm sure he wants to play... So yeah, good I for him to go in a, in a club where he's going to play. But I, I think just, the implication... Okay, first of all, I was joking before about... No, 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 Martinez I know. But play. like, um, you know, I, I think the implication here, and I'm going to put words, maybe he'll clarify this, is if he, if you spend a year as a backup at Arsenal, then it's unlikely that in year two, you're going to challenge for the starting job. Yeah, and no, that's for sure. If you're not English. But even if you're English, if you're not as good as the number one, you will always be the number two. Unless you go to a smaller club, or a different know. club, where you 
be number one. And if he's not good this year with Forrest, they will recruit a better goalkeeper I, I, in the summer and he become number two again. So then what does he do? Oh, I need to leave because otherwise people are going to forget about me. Look, I, I think there are some clubs, and it's certainly in the past was the case, they, players who were not so much if they're English, but if they came through the system here, they could have been Scottish or Irish or you could have been foreign, but maybe joined an academy and been here for a long time. They get the benefit of the doubt ahead of people okay. who are oh, fresh yeah, off the I boat. So I think that happens a lot less today. And it certainly, okay. Arsenal is most definitely not a club that I would associate yeah. uh, with with this kind of thing. So I think, yeah, I think he was misinterpreted. Matt, Maybe. if you want to clarify, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, the story keeps coming up. I know every few weeks it's on the quickest. But you remember the 2.5 billion that Roman Abramovich received when he was forced to sell Chelsea, of course, and that was supposed to help the victims of the war in Ukraine. Well, there's still frozen in his bank account. Yeah, and you know, I'm going to keep speaking about this until somebody does something about this. This is absolutely ridiculous, right? You sanction the man because of the war in Ukraine. You say you have to sell your football club, yeah. right? Instead of fighting in court, he says, okay, fine. I'll sell my football club. I'll take the money, but we'll use the money for good causes. We'll set up a foundation and everything, right? Yeah. Todd Bowley and his friends, the other shareholders in Chelsea, they go and they pay this money, two and yeah. a half billion, right? The money comes in. The foundation is set up, but then everything stops. Since May 2023, everything has stopped. He has paid the money. The money's in the accounts. They're frozen. There's a man named Mike Penrose who's in charge of it. He wants the money unfrozen. Um, the reason the money's frozen is all sorts of disputes about where the money can be spent, how the money can be spent. I mean, guys, it's been 15 months. I, I, I think this money probably generated $125 million, more, easily more than $100 million in interest, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. In 15 months. Where's that money gone? Did you just lop it's it on fine. top? Somebody needs to yeah. step up and yeah, sort this yeah, out yeah, because right. it's, it's a Absolutely. freaking joke. Absolutely. You're right. Casper Schmeichel has a new home, Jules. He'll be moving to Anderlecht. That's right. He terminated his contract at Nice. Uh, both parties, I think, were quite happy. He was not very good in the year that he was there. Uh, there was a few issues there. And he moved to Anderlecht. One plus one deal. Let's see, let's see what he does in Belgium. I'm not sure, sporting-wise, where the challenge is there. But hey, he, at Anderlecht? He still wanted to play. They are a very young team, so maybe it will bring some experience. We'll have to see, but I don't know. It just looks like the career is just going one way. I think he's received, I don't know who his agent is. Um, I think it might have changed, but I think he's, his career trajectory, yeah, not good. No. John Terry is on his way to Saudi Arabia as well, like everybody else. He's reportedly reached a verbal agreement to coach Al-Shabaab. Al-Shabaab, I think, means the boys, which is funny because isn't, isn't there some like fundamentalist group in Ethiopia also called Al Shabab? Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, whatever branding. Uh, like I, he was working with Chelsea's academy. Yeah, he'd been in number two at Villa, and yeah, I, I don't know how much Al Shabab are not one of the public investment fund clubs. So I'm assuming you know they're not swimming in money. No, I don't know. Um, I, I wish him well. I think there's a reason why he didn't get a number one job here in England. Yeah. yeah. Put it that way. Jules Marito Icardi, a friend of the show, of is doing great at Galatasaray. But do you think it's wise to spend 26 million euros on a car? I don't know if it is. It's a lot of money for one car. I give you that, Gabby. He's one of three very lucky owners of the new Rolls Royce. Uh, the boat tell. One owner is a rich... Uh, businessman, okay. One is Mark Hardy and the last one is Jay-Z and Beyonce. So he's in good company, 26 million. And that's the, that's the real price. It's not 2.6 and we forgot the dot in between. It's the real price is 26 million. It's an incredible car. It's a four-seater. So when you think that Wanda and Mauro have four children between them and Wanda's obviously previous relationship, some of them will miss out on the trip in that boat tail car. Uh, the, the, the best specificity in the car is got in the boot, you press a button and the picnic set comes out of the boot with a parasol, you've got a fridge in the car and everything. So it's two fridges in the car. Two fridges actually. even. So it's a car to go for a picnic without all of your children because you can't fit them all in the car. And that costs you 26 million. I looked at this. Yeah. You can go on the Rolls Royce. Well, I thought it was a joke. At Did first. you order one? No, what do you I mean didn't. it's a joke? This is very you serious. You can go stuff. on the website. It's all built by hand and everything. 
This is so ugly and so cheap oh my and so God. crass. Not, it looks horrendous. So even you can look it at doesn't. the pictures. It doesn't. That's not true. Even when it's open, you first of all, you still have to supply your little chairs so you can sit at the little table. Under yeah, the I don't know where you put them in the car. Like, so I, if you have two kids and you two, it's, like it's horrible. I mean, this is really, really crass and ugly. If you're gonna do stuff like this, then go and get like you know. You know Go and get an escalator or something and, and customize it. Put gold inside. <laughs> this is actually this, this is actually offensive to me. You spend this money on your car. What do you like? I'm, I, to I'm be honestly, fair, I didn't like, think he had that much money to spend twenty six million on. This a is car. the other thing. He doesn't. Twenty six million. What? He took a loan to buy the, buy the Rolls Royce. I, I honestly, you know, honestly, do you 20, think it's a lease? It's not a lease. Like twenty six million. Twenty six million means that. You know, obviously after tax, he would have earned around 52 million, 50 million. I don't think he's made that much. He must have. Why would you, how does he pay for the car? I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, Nasser bought it. I mean, for you're a family of so four. To make this sure is, he would you, never This come could from. be your family car. You're a family yeah, exactly. of four. No. I mean, we are five. So we're the yeah, one, you guys one are all kid small, so, fair, but. you know. Gab, each year the Golden Boy Award is given to the top European player under the age of 21. Uh, and they also have a, a web awards. And it seems that Taylor Swift is going to have a big impact on, on who is the winner in the end. <laughs> you can tell it's internationally. That's an amazing you story. Amazing um, story. Yeah, so the Golden Boy is a legit Yeah, award. we love it's it as well. Our like friends from Tutu stuff. And exactly. Like, uh, but then they said, oh, well, let's have a democratic one where people can vote on the web, which is... Can I say something? It's never a good idea because <laughs> you fall prey to campaign. Somebody found um, Alejandro Balde, yeah. who, by the way, let's face it, with all the love of Alejandro Balde, you're not going to be Drew Bellingham anyway. No, but he was in the lead. He was still but in the lead. But he was in the lead, early early lead. Point, I guess, because yeah. Barcelona have a lot of fans. Yeah. And somebody asked him, like, oh, like, do you like Taylor Swift? I mean, and why would you like, even ask him that question? But anyway. And he, was, he said something like, no, I'm not really a fan of her music and her songs. And then somebody... I screenshotted it, sent it out into the Swifty universe. Yeah, it's a big community, that. And Bellingham, of course, is a major Swifty, as you know. <laughs> uh, and all of a sudden, it's like, you know, so Bombay's out of the We can't have Bellingham winning. Let's have Bellingham winning instead. Exactly. There you go. 100,000 uh, votes, I think, they put in for Bellingham, the Swifties. Are you a Taylor Swift fan? Uh, nah, the kids listen, but I'm like, no, that's not my, that's not my music. But please don't vote against me. It's, it's okay. okay. Just, just, just checking, no, no, just like... checking, just checking. <laughs> I'm a major Swifty, of course, as you can imagine. I uh, know, but I do recognize her talent. There yeah, of course. Um, Jules, it comes to an end. Should we come back on Monday? Yeah. And do this all over again? There you go. Three straight weeks of Gab and Jules. How about that? Until then, love the game. Love you, too.